Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you today. I um, have an opportunity to be together. So um, there's a couple of different um, scriptures that, you know, thinking about elders is predicated on. One is actually Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. Verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The other one, though, comes out of Ephesians chapter 4, and it's actually, um, we've talked about it a bit, it's the, um, the apostles' call, and it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So today as we're here, um, we actually have had um, a great time, um, a great uh, sort of outpouring of God's Spirit in a selection of new elders. And so we um, actually have a slate of elders that I'm going to actually have us vote on in a second. Um, they are Beverly Henry, Duffy Sample, and then Jim Elmore. And Jim is not here right now. I think we have a picture of him, correct? And there he is. And um, he will be here on September 12th, and we will then install him as well. So I'm going to ask you, though, to actually vote on this um, slate. It's Beverly Henry, Duffy Sample, and Jim Elmore. So um, I would say all that are in favor of accepting this slate of elders, please say yes. yes. All those opposed, no. All right, it carries. Thank you very much. There's also a question to the congregation um, that I think is important for us to think about. So for you as congregational members, um, thinking about Beverly Henry, excuse me, Beverly Henry, Duffy Sample, Jim Elmore, do we, the covenant partners of this congregation, accept them as elders chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ according to the word of God and the constitution of ECO? Do we agree, and this is the part I want you to really think about, do we agree to pray for them, to encourage them, to respect their decisions, and to follow them as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? Do you? We do. Amen. All right. So having answered those, um, I'm going to actually invite Duffy and Beverly, who are here, to come on up, and um, would love to actually have an opportunity to pray with you and over you. And um, I don't see Duffy yet. He may be hiding somewhere, I'm not sure. Oh, there he is, hey, Duff. All right, come on up. Let's join together in prayer. So, holy God, we are just grateful for, um, for Jim Elmore, for Duffy Sample, for Beverly Henry, and we're really grateful for their willingness to step in at this time and to lead. And so, God, we pray your blessings on them. We pray, God, that you will give them wisdom beyond their ability, that you will help them um, as they grow to learn about discernment and about following you and being the people that you've called them to be. And, God, we just pray that you would pour out leadership gifts on them, that you would um, bless them and guide them. And we thank you, God, for their willingness to lead and to be a part of our church family. We give you praise and thanks for them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. All right, well, I want to close this by just saying, can we uh, just give a round of applause to the nominating committee who did such a good job doing this? So all right, thank you all very much. Thanks, Gary. Um, you know, nearly five years ago when Julie and I and our family started trying to figure out where we would, 
where we were heading for Montana, one of the things that was really important to us, very important, was a church with a lot of history, right? Like, a, And if you don't know, our church started in 1726, so we're 295 years old. And the reason being is I'm a little bit chaotic and uh, can create uh, chaos and mess, right? And so the, the idea of being a part of a church that we knew, understood, was here long before us and going to be here long after us was just really comforting and so if you don't know much about our kind of our polity or our organization we would say we're staff-led meaning we have a great staff who it's kind of in the in the weeds in the day-to-day operations but we are also elder governed meaning we have a group of elders who hold tight to the mission and vision of our church and hold tight to the scriptures to make sure that we continually uh, follow our senior pastor, the head of the church, Jesus, right? And so really, really neat to be able to do that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But I, as you are probably aware, our world is really, really chaotic these days. Um, and what we see going on across the globe is uh, scary, saddening, worrisome, concerning, and there's all sorts of pain. Like we have people right now in our church who have sent their children. De- well, their children have been deployed over in the middle, middle of Afghanistan. Uh, we have the Christian church in Kabul right now who is being martyred for their faith. And we have brokenness and evil that just kind of is running rampant. And so it just makes sense, right? There's this really neat passage. Gary just alluded to Ephesians 4, which is probably my favorite passage in all the scriptures. But right after that passage in Ephesians 5, um, Paul, the writer, tells us how to respond to evil and brokenness. And he actually helps us understand who it is we're battling against, right? It's not you versus I. It's not even us versus them, right? Some country But God tells us very clear through Paul that we are fighting a battle against spiritually evil forces. Absolutely evil. Beyond what we can see or understand that is playing out in our world. And while we can't see or understand it fully, we can see the ramifications of it. The consequences of it. And so you go, ah, it's really overwhelming. What do we do? And Paul actually tells us, he actually gives kind of a a military analogy. And he tells us we can actually put on an armor the whole armor of God and he goes through it and explains it all and so he tells us how we can put it on but what I'm so intrigued by in the ver the verses he tells us to put all this on but then he doesn't say go fight he doesn't tell us to go wage war he tells us to do two things stand firm and pray so our role in all this chaos is two things we stand firm and we pray. Just a second ago, we um, just sang a song that said, God, would you purify, uh, purify us? And there's this passage in the Old Testament, first few books of the Bible, where we get kind of uh, the law and uh, the explanation to how to find purity in our lives if, if the duty was us to purify ourselves. And yet we understand in the scriptures that Jesus knew we would never be able to meet all those rules and laws and purification rituals. And so he covers us, provides us with his righteousness. But in it, it says something really interesting in terms of how purifying works, purification works. And it says, anything that can withstand fire must be put through fire to be purified. 
Anything that can withstand fire must be put through fire to be purified. And I wholeheartedly understand that with what's going on in our world, it could feel like we're in the middle of fire. And today, I'm going to share with you the news that I am resigning the position of senior pastor here at the Christian Life Center. And I'm going to explain to you why and explain to you kind of a little bit of that. And we'll be here for another month. And it's because we're moving to Florida, be close to family, to get back into kind of the apostolic role I think God called me to. And so I'm going to share that news with you. And it may, for many of you, one, right now, you might be trying to catch your breath in this. And it may feel like you've just been put through fire. And what I want to communicate to you is that I believe that God has incredible things in store for you all in this church. And I wholeheartedly believe the best days are right ahead of us. But I also wholeheartedly believe that there are rough spots and difficult paths that God calls us to and God calls us through. And so what makes sense to me before we start any of the, the material, and please stay with me for this, um, and we just pray, not just for our church and this news, but for our soldiers, for our government, our leaders, regardless of how you feel about them, um, for our families in this church, for folks of Afghanistan, for the global Christian church. And remember, I just told you that Paul told us, uh, Jesus tells us through Paul how we can respond in two things. Stand firm and pray. So if you're able, um, and that's okay if you're not, would you stand here? Just stand. And I would even challenge you, if you're in the parking lot, stand. Or if you're in your living room, just stand. And we're actually going to practice that. The stand firm and pray. And you might not be in a spot right this second to pray. So you can just listen and ask the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf. But for those of you who are in a spot to pray right now, I would ask that you would not just spectate to these words. That, that you would pray to a holy and perfect God. And that because we're going to pause right now, this is so profound, I don't understand everything about prayer, but because we're going to pause right now and pray, something different, something better, something more holy and godly is going to happen in our church, in our souls, in our spirits, in our families, and in our world in our nation, because we have listened to God, we've stand firm, chosen to stand firm and pray. So would you join me as we pray? Oh, Jesus, um, you are our senior pastor. You are the, you are the whole reason for the church, Jesus. It's your church called according to your purposes, empowered by your spirit. That is your solution for the brokenness of the world and the coming kingdom. So God, right now, in the Middle East, I pray for your church. God, that you would give them comfort and peace and courage. God, would they stand firm in trusting you and being so confident that the greatest riches they will inherit are still in their future. And God, would you give them supernatural wisdom to know how to respond right now? And God, what we ask is that you would provide protection. That you would protect them even in these moments. But Jesus, in the same way you prayed in the garden before you were put through the fire. God, not our will be done, 
but yours. So Jesus, would you have your way? God, for our families right now who have children, grandchildren, siblings, spouses, the middle of this conflict, God, I pray that you would um, give them supernatural peace. Like at this moment, God, because we are praying and speaking to you, and you say, whatever we ask in your name, you'll grant, and it's in your name to give peace. And so, God, we just pray confidently, and we ask you, to God, that your peace would be ushered into their life right this second. I mean, not like tomorrow, not next week, but like right this second, would there be a peace? God, for our soldiers, would you just usher in a peace, Lord? But more than just the the tactile peace, God, what your scriptures tell us is that the God of peace can dwell with us. So God, would we not just experience your peace, but would we experience your presence in this moment? God, with this news of uh, my family's departure, would you bring peace and confidence of your goodness and your plans? You use Paul to point to you and say, now to him who can do immeasurably more than we can hope or imagine. And for many of us, God, we have pretty big hopes and a pretty big imagination. For others, God, it's not that big right now. And I just want to ask, Lord, that you would do immeasurably more than we can count, than we can measure, that we could even see. But God, would you do what only you can do? Would you lead our church? Would you please, God, lead our nation? And God, would you bend and shape all this horrific, scary news in our world? Would you somehow bend and shape it for our good, for our family's good, and simultaneously for your glory? And would you help us to stand firm and pray and hold fast to your promises? Then your promise tells us that there is nothing, nothing that can stop your plans. There's nothing that can stand in the way of your kingdom of heaven invading this earth. So God, we trust fully that you see all things and that you are working in all things. And the way that you're working is for the goal of you and I and us, God, to be together forever experiencing all that you have planned for us. And God, even in the middle of this, right this second, would you allow us to experience your coming kingdom in our lives right now, God? Would the, would the kingdom of heaven invade every square foot of this building? Would the kingdom of heaven invade our living rooms? Would the kingdom of heaven, heaven invade our parking lot and our home offices and our workplaces and our treadmills? God, wherever we are is and this God, would your kingdom just come and rule and reign? And would we, God, see your kingdom at work? And would you make us into a holy people who are called according to your purposes to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth? So would you comfort us? Would you fill us and would you empower us to be your hands and feet? And would you help us let our light shine so that people can see our good works and glorify you in heaven 
And God, would we continue to pray the way that you taught us to pray and telling us to pray this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you guys be seated? So I just shared some news with you. Um, and I'll, I'm going to be sharing more as we kind of work through this. So I just ask that you lean in. Also, probably uh, tomorrow, I will send out an email to you. I want to make sure that I communicate as clear as possible. And I tend to communicate with lots of words that are clear as mud. So working through that to make sure. But some of the stuff that uh, might get lost in translation today, you'll get a letter um, explaining more why we're going. But it, it basically, there's, there's three reasons, guys. It's uh, obedience. We feel like uh, it would be disobedient to stay. Really painful and sad and filled with sorrow, but we feel like that's what God's called us to do. The second one is calling. Like, I, my gifting is apostolic. My heart is in planting churches. More and better disciples lead to more and better churches. And candidly, I'm I'm not really built for senior pastor organizational church roles. It, I, I am built, and you, you guys, are not, you're not going to be surprised by this. And uh, living in the pioneering world of moving at a fast pace, putting together opportunities to serve the community and reach the lost. So um, I'll be... We'll, where we'll be moving, and please forgive me, this is not going to be the best material in terms of how I communicate it. Um, it we'll be moving to Central Florida, and I'll, I'll be uh, leading a, a small church that is kind of replanting itself for the sake of trying to reach lost people and reach families. And so, no, very little, a few staff, but a really great opportunity for me to lean back into that pioneering apostolic role. So uh, obedience, calling. And then the third one, just to be really candid with you, is family. I miss my parents a whole bunch. Just miss them a whole bunch. Uh, many of you have journeyed with us. And a uh, little over a year ago, my dad was rushed to the hospital, but rushed. He drove himself. Wasn't very wise. Um, with renal failure. And uh, was rushed into the emergency room. Uh, died in the emergency room, I would say Jesus brought him back to life. And in those moments, it kind of repositioned all I thought about, about how much time we have with our, my parents, Julie's parents, and can we spend as much quality time as we'd like to? Can our kids spend as much quality time as we'd like to from, you know, more than a day's travel? And so this puts us within a couple of hours of, of my parents and puts us more like seven as opposed to 12, 13 from Julie's. So those are the three reasons, but I want you to hear me now that I'll explain to you more about it, but uh, this is place is going to be in great shape. I, it, you might probably aren't aware of it, but I really don't lead much around here anymore. Like I, 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 I tend to create chaos a good bit, 
and I don't know how to say no. So I, what I, I've done in the last couple of years is I've, because I can't say no, and so I just go, yeah, do that, whatever. You know, what we've done is just created more complications and communication and plans. And so over the last couple of years, I've actually taken away my ability to say yes. It's, you want to use the building? I'm the wrong person to ask, right? You want to start something? Probably the wrong person to ask. And so we have a really, really great team of leaders. And the team has been leading um, in significant levels for for more than a year. Like, I don't lead our staff. Uh, Megan Graff, who's on, uh, leads our, our worship and communication, she sets the agenda for that. Uh, we, we lead by team, so there's accountability, and it's not very top-down. So uh, the reality is um, the church and what you see won't really change much. What will change is um, my presence on the stage. And so it'll be different folks preaching, and I don't know all the details of that yet, but I promise you uh, we're working through them and praying through them and trying to sort out what God would have us do um, in the interim right and so as soon as we kind of sort through that as a as elders and uh, staff we, we'll, we'll keep you completely apprised to all those things I imagine it'll be a couple weeks but we'll kind of put together that plan but the goal today is just to make sure you're all kind of brought into uh, the decision and I want you to hear me tell you that we love you I love you and we want you to be cared for and supported in this so my calendar is open for the next several weeks. If you want to chat, I'd love the opportunity to sit and chat with you. Uh, there is no behind-the-scenes hard feelings, frustrations. It is just what it is. That I feel like God's communicated clearly that I should jump back into the apostolic ministry that has kind of been my gifting and feel like God has showed us where to do that. And it just by his grace, happens to be really close to my, my family, my brother, all those. And so that's it, but be happy to chat with you more about that. But for now, let me remind you, we have been in a series. We're actually in week 13, so we're a quarter of a year in the series. We've got two more weeks called Better. And Better has just been us just kind of walking through the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke was written by this guy named Luke. That's why it's called the Gospel of Luke. He was a doctor, and this guy, Theophilus, hired him to go and investigate Jesus. All true. This is not folklore. This is not myth, not legend. So Luke spends years, if not a decade, to go and study everything he can about Jesus. He met with eyewitnesses, read all the documents, listened to all the oral traditions. And then he compiled, he tells us in Luke chapter 1, this orderly account. And he says he compiled it so that you, first Theophilus and us, could have certainty of the things we've been taught by Jesus. And so for the last 60 plus weeks we've been opened up the gospel of luke and just reading it and asking the holy spirit to speak to us and the big aha the gospel of luke isn't about just salvation isn't about you praying a prayer and getting beamed into heaven the big aha of the whole gospel is that jesus actually when he came he brought the kingdom of god or the kingdom of heaven mentioned 92 times in the scriptures with him he brought it with him meaning that the glory of what God does is he actually not only comes and makes a way where there is a way, he invites us in to start experiencing and participating in heaven right now. We just prayed it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So Luke writes all about this kingdom. And a lot of people will call the gospel of Luke actually the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because throughout it what you see is this work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives and in ushering in this kingdom. 
So the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, Jesus came to tell us about, empower us to live in it. He literally put it on his back and brought it into earth so that we could participate in it. So the, the invitation each and every week is you get to now live in the kingdom of heaven. Now it'll be in this glory in the, in the coming kingdom when it's all perfect, but until then, you can actually participate in the kingdom of heaven now. Your church, our church, can participate in it now. And so that gets a little overwhelming to go, well, I don't really know that much about the Bible, and I definitely don't know how to, like, live like it's heaven here, especially in all this brokenness. So what we've done in kind of a little sub-series is we've tried, had this series called Better, where we've said we want to help you each and every week take the next step to live in the kingdom right? So next step in the kingdom. And so little by little, we're going, if you're trying to figure out how to live in the kingdom, brand new to this, been around for a while, we're just going to give you one step. So today, I'm going to give you one more step. And here's what it is. To live in the kingdom of heaven right now, you get to choose. You get to choose. I'm going to back up a little bit so I can see it. You get to choose to be, sorry for the cursive, uh, fruitful, or you get to choose to be foolish. You get to be, choose to and continue to live, if you're living this way already, in this temporal, small world focus of just trying to get your security and your protection and your comfort today. Or you can choose to live a life that is fruitful. Fruitful. And you're going, yeah, I want to do that, but I don't know how, and this is what's going to be so great. In the past, I've kind of shared some passages with you, like uh, John 15, where Jesus tells us to abide Apart from him, we can do nothing. He's the, you know, that we just rested. He produces the fruit. I read to you from Galatians 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's doing that work. And you're like, yeah, I get that. But I don't actually know how to kind of engage with the Spirit to do that. And so today, I'm going to give you lots of nice, simple steps that I am so confident, so confident came from Jesus for you all, for us today. But that's where we've been. And so Jesus has continued to teach folks about this coming kingdom and how to live in it. Now, um, where we are today is we're going to read three verses, three verses in Luke chapter, I'll make sure I get this right, Luke chapter 13. And in these verses, uh, Jesus is going to give us this parable. You know, the neat thing is for quite some time in the future, we're going to see Jesus continue to teach in parables. In fact, we have two more weeks of the, the, this better series, and then after that, we'll start a series called Parables. Because what you're going to see is we're going to have a couple more observations about how to take the next right step, right? And then what we're going to get to do and participate in is learning what Jesus is going to teach us through parables. So let me just remind you what a parable is. A parable is not a true story. It's just not a true story. But it's a story that gives us but I'd argue in this, supernatural wisdom and insight and certainty of how we should live. So Jesus is so brilliant that he knows, and this is where we get to confuse the church because we think church is all about, you know, big bullhorns and beating stuff into us and loud, angry commands. Jesus is brilliant. He knows that none of us really handle criticism that well. In fact, even when someone comes to you, I have some constructive criticism to you. It's like, oh, that's really nice. Thanks for constructing some things for me, right? So uh, we know that the minute that kind of stuff comes at us, uh, we tend to shut down and get defensive. And here's the crazy thing. They may actually have some really good insight that'd be helpful to you. And yet, the way by which it's presented tends to shut us down, get us defensive to the point where we can't receive it. So what Jesus does, and, and so, so brilliant, as he tells us stories that help us kind of get gain some insight, 
from the story about ourselves and about God. So usually in a parable, there's someone that represents God, okay? Someone that represents God. And there's someone that represents us, got it? So when you read a parable, you go, okay, who represents God? Who represents us? And in all these parables, there's kind of a aha or therefore, meaning there's some application for you to do in light of the parables. Sometimes that is very, very blunt and clear. Other times, it's kind of left without like a big crescendo or, a, you know, Aesop fable had the moral of the story at the end, right? Sometimes it's kind of left, kind of lingering or hanging today happens to be one of those. So while we'll be teaching more about parables in the upcoming weeks, today I just want to read you this one very strange parable and then offer you some insight. So Jesus is teaching, and this is what he says. Luke chapter 13, uh, beginning of verse 6. It's up on the screens right here. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version today. Just a reminder, the reason I've been teaching from it is uh, it's more of a word-for-word translation instead of like a thought-for-thought. Thought. So you got like NIV, New Living Translation, where they take kind of a whole thought and try to translate it to, to get that thought really well. But ESV kind of goes, we're going to take each and every word and each and every comma, and we're going to make sure to communicate what that word says. And so the, um, like today, that's really helpful because there's some very specific words that are going to give us some very specific steps to live in the kingdom, right? For you and I to be fruitful, right? And so this is the really neat thing about this. If you're brand new to this, don't really believe it. It's like, oh, what a great place. Because so many of us were told that somehow if we perform correctly, you know, did all the checklists and all the, the right stuff, that somehow God would be happy with us. And that's not how the story of the gospel goes. In other words, the, the real story is that there is actually nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And many of us thought there was performance that we could do that make God love you more. And here's what's so crazy. There's actually nothing you can do to make God love you less. Jesus sees you as his child, and he gives you value, this kind of value, that the God of the universe is willing to die for you. So he esteems you. He lays all of his cards on the table. This is not a negotiation tactic. He's going, here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's what I did for you. And here's the reason I did it. The goal for Jesus is for you and him to be together forever. And the way that you do that is actually to participate and live in the kingdom of God. But here's the crazy thing. You can't actually get access to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven by yourself. You can't. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. You can't open the door. You can't do any of that. So when Jesus teaches, when Luke's going to write this, he's going to continue to refer to this word, which is so interesting. It's the word faith. And what we understand is faith, this divine persuasion from God, is how we get access to the kingdom. So if you're brand new, it's like, God, oh, you don't have to know all the details from all the backstory and all the brokenness of all the people in the church and, you know, the Old Testament the Jews, all that kind of stuff. You just understand that Jesus is going to give you the kingdom for you to live in it with him now in the way by which you access this is through faith in Jesus. And so Jesus is going to help us understand what it looks like to live in the kingdom. And this is what it says. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Got it? A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And the, he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Follow me? That's it. So there's this man. He has a vineyard, and he has a fig tree. And the fig tree doesn't produce fruit. Okay. So remember, 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 uh, in these kind of stories, someone represents God, and someone usually represents us. So let me just help you with that. 
the person who represents God in the story is the one who owns all the things. You got it? The vineyard, the fig tree, that one. The owner of the entire world, the one who spoke it into existence, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? That one, God. That represents the man with the vineyard. Now, and this one's going to get a little uh, interesting because it says, um, so, um, and he said to the vine dresser, uh, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? So, got it? So you got a tree, you got a vine dresser, and you got an owner. So why don't you think about it for a second? Rhetorically, who do you think represents us? Owner, vine dresser, fig tree. Great question, and I'm not going to answer it for you. Because part of the neat things of parables is you get to wrestle through that alongside. Because there's some scholars that go, you know, really what it is is the vine dresser is the one who represents us because we're responsible for caring for the fruit. Well, but in John 15, Jesus says that he's the vine dresser and we're just supposed to abide in it and produce fruit. And so some scholars go, no, 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 that's not even our responsibility. Our responsibility is to produce fruit because we're the tree. Got it? So you get to wrestle through whether or not your responsibility in this moment is to take care of a tree or your responsibility is to be the tree, but we understand the fig tree needs to do what? Produce fruit. So we go, okay, what's the point of fruit? What's the point of fruit? so profound to me that the fruit of the tree is never for the tree. Never. What's the purpose of the fruit? At its base level, you can go, well, in this sense the fruit produces, you know, you sell the fruit, you know, it, it adds resources to the, the you know, the, the, the vine, the, the owner's house, right? And the owner's kind of compound. But even that, if you kind of deduce it down, move it down a little bit. Purpose of fruit at its basis level. Very basic. It's for people to eat. That's it. Fruit made for people, not the tree, but other people to find sustenance in. To be fueled by, right? And so this owner, represents God, has this massive, massive compound with a big, big vineyard. And on the vineyard, there is a fruit tree. And he looks at it and says, it does not produce fruit. So what does the owner suggest? Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Now, this is harsh. And now we see kind of this uh, divisive line between two different ways to experience life and participate in life. One, you can participate in the kingdom of God. Right? And in the kingdom of God, the way you uh, participate is you and I produce fruit. And you're going, well, I don't know how to produce fruit. We'll get to that, right? Just want you to understand. And then there's this other kingdom, what we can refer to as the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of hell, kingdom of evil, whatever that is. And in this sense, this kingdom doesn't care about producing fruit for other people. In fact, in this kingdom, what you see is most of the time, people over here, and we've all been, you know, uh, guilty of this at some point, have leveraged leverage we leverage our power to gain access to our pleasure usually you know at the cost of someone else's pain got it and so in the kingdom of heaven the, the idea is you produce fruit for others to enjoy 
the kingdom of this earth, it is so self-centric that you're going and grabbing all the things to feed and protect and comfort yourself. And so, and in either sense, the vine dresser or the vine owner, the vineyard owner says to the vine dresser, cut it down because it is not doing the very thing it was meant to do, which is to produce fruit, right? It's very binary. Either produce fruit and allow folks to enjoy it and add value, invest value into the kingdom of God, or cut down. So pretty significant story. Again, remember, this is a parable. Sometimes parables are probably not the best way to get all of our theology, right? Because it gets a little confusing at times, but it is a great understanding of how we live. So we got this idea of cut down the tree, and now watch what happens next. Vine dresser says, and he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also. Until I dig around it, and put on manure. So there's an answer, there's a decision, and this decision, he goes, no, 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 let's not cut it down. This is why, in my opinion, we represent the, the fruit tree, the fig tree that doesn't produce. And we have this intercessor, this vine dresser, providing coverage for us, going, no, 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 no. This can still produce fruit. No, 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 there's still a plan. No, 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 I got this right. This is what's so beautiful about the way that you get to faith and salvation. It says whoever confesses their sins, right? Whoever confesses their sins to God. Confess your sins to God that you might find, you know, forgiveness. And it says when you confess your sins, 1 John, God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. So what we can understand about that is as we acknowledge our sinfulness, we actually have an advocate in Jesus who's literally standing beside God going, nope, God, we can't punish him for that. Nope, I understand he messed it up. Yep, Josh did it again. I understand those things. But hear me. There has already been a price paid for that sin. Remember, Dad, I was, I was nailed to a Roman cross to cover that sin, right? And so in this, thing, this sense, you've got a fig tree, probably represents us. You got a, a vineyard owner, represents God, and vine dresser, which is this person still working on helping create fruit in this tree who's advocating and interceding on behalf of the tree. Going, no, 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 let's not cut it down yet. No, 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 they haven't got it yet, but no, no, no. And you see what he says. He says, give us one more year. Give us one more year. Wait, wait, it's already been three years. No, no, give him one more year. And he says two things. He'll dig around it and put on manure. So important for you to hear this. I think it's a gift and very complicated. That I just told you, we prayed, anything that can withstand fire must be put through fire to be purified. That you see this, you see the solution uh, to the vine dresser's, you know, predicament for the tree that he cares about is actually to dig around it, to remove stuff around the base. Got it? Stuff that isn't going to help it grow. Isn't going to help it uh, perform at its highest level. And you see this, not only does it dig around the tree, you see the next thing it does? It puts manure on it. See this. That this vine dresser's plan is actually to take waste, dirty, filthy waste, and place it around this tree and that somehow through that stinky, dirty waste right there, God does his greatest, or this vine dresser does his greatest work in the tree. So just, you got to do this, you got to understand this, that, um, that most of the time growth comes from a, a pretty stinky place. 
Now think about to your life. I can tell you um, one of the most complicated parts about our departure is this has been the best season I've ever lived in, guys. The last year of my life has been the most fulfilling, the most rewarding, and the, the closest I have ever been to God. From every situation in our life, the last year has been the best ever. This is my favorite year ever of ministry. I mean, it has just been this fruitful, great time, and it has been so, so enjoyable, right? And so this is where it gets confusing. It's like, God, this is, I mean, I understand long-term. I understand that this fits my gifts. I understand I want to be next to the family. But this is, God, this is a really, really good season. But you know where this season came from for me? The darkest season of my entire life. The most painful season I have ever experienced in my 40 years of life. Like deep, dark night of the soul, spare. This time 18 months ago, I did not want to be a pastor anymore just was done and this deep deep I had no idea what God was doing but it certainly looks like looking back on it now that God was doing some real digging and he was placing some manure on it and it stunk but out of it came this life and this fruitfulness and you know I was reading and this is one of the things that helped confirm just what God's doing I was reading um our elders that go through a book together and we're uh, reading a book called strengthening the soul of leadership by Ruth Haley Barton and it get, got to a chapter kind of at the very end, uh, and it's been a month or so since I was reading it, maybe six weeks ago. And um, it gets to this part where she tells the story of Moses and the story of the Israelites. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, God gives them a promised land and says, that's going to be yours, and it's going to be fruitful. But um, the Israelites are very suspicious of it and go, no, no, God, we don't, we don't trust that you're actually going to do that. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, right? And they complained and grumbled and just was a messy thing. And then finally, finally, God is going to raise up some leaders, particularly a guy named Joshua, and he's going to point them and go, the promised land's there. Here's what you need to do. First, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. The Lord's going to do amazing things. And then when he got to the Mar, he, 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 you know, lined up all the people. Joshua did with God's direction and had the priests in the front, and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, God's literal spoken word, right, that was chiseled down and and it said as uh, they walked up to the Jordan River to go and enjoy the fruitfulness of the other side. Not that it wouldn't have pain or complication. They still had to face AI and Jericho and other places, but the fruitfulness of the other side. He tells them to walk, but the problem is the Jordan River is at flood stage, super messy flood stage, flood, flood stage, right? I mean, raging waters. In other words, if they got swept up in the waters, they would die. And it literally says that God tells them to walk to the promised land. And in the middle of that, there's this raging water and he hadn't parted it yet. And it literally says that when they stuck their bare soles of their feet, these priests, into the water, the waters parted. In other words, there is a significant, God, you better come through. We are trusting that you are who you say you are. And there's a significant moment where they take an irreversible step, this divine persuasion. And as they take this step, their faith, God's faithfulness shows up in the river's part. Really, really beautiful story. But the sad part of the story, the one that really convicted me, was that the guy who had been leading them for quite some time, the guy had been advocating for them, fighting for them, interceding for them, spending time alone with God. Uh, he doesn't get to go. Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land. Some of that was his own choices and his own bad decisions. Some of that was the decisions of the Israelites, but at the greatest level, it was because it was God's plan. God's plan for Moses. God's plan for Joshua, 
God's plan for the Israelites. And as I was reading that, you know, I sincerely, and I'll, I'll share more with you how the story played out, just not today, clock's running. Um, I, I was pretty confident the Lord was telling me I was Moses. That it's a glorious season for CLC. That he's been preparing, and he's telling us, consecrate ourselves for tomorrow. The Lord's going to do amazing things. That's why you should come back on Wednesday night and pray. Let's see what he's up to. Consecrate yourselves. Joshua got great things in store for CLC, but you don't get to go with them. And so, as you look at back to the story of the parable, this vine dresser goes, no, 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 there's fruitfulness. No, 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 there's really good fruit. There's such good fruit. Just wait, this fig tree is just going to be bustling with fruit. It looks dead. It looks like it's barren. It looks like it can't survive. But no, 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 no. I'm going to dig around it, and then it's going to stink for a little while. It's going to be complicated. But out of that, guess what's going to happen? This fig tree is going to burst with life. And so growth typically comes from a place of digging and a place of manure. And so he intercedes on behalf of the tree to the vine or the vineyard owner, and it says this, then it should bear fruit next year. Well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So this one's interesting. That's where this whole parable ends. We don't know what happens to the tree. We don't know if it gets uprooted. But we do know that with the digging and the manure, there is now a plan for it to be fruitful. And so I wonder if Jesus is talking to his disciples and talking to the religious folks, that he leaves this as a cliffhanger because there is a personal responsibility and a personal decision they have to make. There's a personal responsibility and a personal decision I and our family had to make. There's personal responsibility and a personal decision that you all have to make. Because what I want to make sure you understand is he's not talking about a whole vineyard here. You see this? So there's a whole vineyard, and he's not talking about all the, the vines and the grapes. He is pointing to one specific tree. So this isn't a, while we're talking about it corporately, this is not a corporate kind of application. This is an individual application, and you've got to decide whether you want to produce fruit in the next year. And see, what usually happens to go, okay, 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 yeah, I want to produce fruit. What do I need to do? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll. And then we get really, really overwhelmed. We're like, we don't know how to produce fruit. And I've already told you over and over again, you can't even produce your own fruit. It's the work of the Spirit. So you go, what do you do with this? The first decision is, do you want to produce fruit? Do you want to have a life that produces sustenance to necessity to other people? You want your life to matter for the people you interact with. Do you want people to look into your life and go, that is a place that continually provides fruit and care? Do you want that? Or do you just want to go, no, 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 I just want to walk around, pick the fruit up off the ground, and enjoy it for myself? So in this, is kind of this cliffhanger of you going, well, you've got to decide what you want to do. We don't know how this ends up yet, but I can tell you that God has big plans. Do you want to be a part of producing fruit? If so, then you get to choose fruitful. Okay, okay, well, how do, I, how do we do fruitful? so glorious, I'm telling you. Um, I, I haven't been sleeping much. Just haven't. I, it's weird to talk about because in some ways it's such a great lament, but it seems so silly to talk about my feelings in this, right? Like, poor Josh, he's got to leave a church he loves. Like, 
It just seems weird to make. So it feels really uncomfortable to talk about in terms of how sad I am. I know I'll be excited at some point. There's things if I think about it, I'll be excited about. But right now, I'm just sad. Like all I've done all week and what I continue to do is just break up with people. Sad, right? Just sad, sad, sad. And so that, that part's, you know, so here we are. I've got to talk about the sad and figure that out. And you go, okay, now we've got to produce fruit. How do we do that? So I'm not sleeping at all. Got to figure out how to sell a house. Not sleeping at all. Got to, you know, all these different things. And um, I don't even know what morning it was now. I think it was early Thursday morning. Maybe it was early Wednesday morning. But God, and this doesn't happen very often, like literally put some scripture right in front of me and said, Josh, this is the scripture. Like, I mean, not vocally, audibly. I just, in my spirit, knew this was the scripture. This is the scripture that you got to share. This is the scripture that is going to help provide some direction and comfort. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's really good. At that point, I didn't even, I wasn't planning on talking about this. I thought it would go fruit. And I mean, I was going to tell you about the, you know, the, me stepping down, but I wasn't planning on going to this next passage. But God gave it to us, and I think it's a gift to you and I. And the really neat thing is not also kind of like this exhortation. So Peter's writing it to a church he loves, like with deep, deep passion. And if there's anybody in the scriptures I identify with, it's Peter. He's ready, shoot, aim. I mean, he cut off a man's ear, right? I mean, this is like my kind of guy, except I don't like swords or blood. But anyway. So, so Peter is like really significant, and Peter is writing this plea to his church that he loves. And as I was being like, oh, that's exactly what I feel, God. That's exactly what I feel. It's like this last charge. And hear me, this isn't last charge. I'll be around. I'll be teaching a couple more times, and we'll continue to talk through this. I'm going to be here till the end of September, right? All those kind of things. And so we'll have time to do that. But he just writes this. I was like, ah, oh, that's it. No, in what he writes, this is the beautiful part. He doesn't even, he gives this exhortation, but he actually gives some very specific next steps for one purpose, so that the people of God can be fruitful. So I'm not using, like, there are some, uh, Rick Warren says this way, you should, the, the church should be, spend less time talking about what you ought to do. Instead, you should spend time talking about how to do it, right? So this is really, really helpful. We'll put some words up on the screen, and I think you'll find them helpful. So Peter is writing to the church he loves, and this is what he says. Uh, this is Second Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God our Savior Jesus Christ may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Lots to think about there but he's just greeting them and saying this isn't a Peter thing this is a Christ thing and a Christ church thing right? This is, this is God's church. The kingdom comes through his church. So he's, he's saying, this is for all of you who want to be fruitful and for your lives to count and want to participate in the coming kingdom by participating in the local church. Got it? So he gives them this greeting, and then he says this. His, talking about God's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. So he's going, you want in on real life? Do you want in on real godliness? I mean, is that what you're looking for? It's like that kind of fruitful life? This is what you got to pay attention to. Through, ready this, knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So he's saying, Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, and he called you to come into it. The whole kingdom is yours. His glory is available to you right now. You want to be fruitful? Peter's going, lean in, because this is, this is how that works, and watch what he says next. By which, verse 4, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. There is nothing going to stop 
the plans he's made, and you get to decide whether or not you want to participate in his plans and his coming kingdom and his fruitfulness, right? And those are promises. So that through them, you individually, us corporately, may partake, be may become partakers of the divine nature. So this is so far beyond just birth to death, just this earthly world. There is something divine that is happening that Peter is about to leave these folks. He's going, there's something divine that's about to happen. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Hey, you've been freed from that bondage. You don't have to live that life anymore. You can participate in the kingdom and you can be fruitful. Got it? For this very reason, Make every effort. Remember this. We're going to talk about fruitfulness. Okay, how do, we, how do we become fruitful? Make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. You want to be fruitful? It starts with faith. Love the definition of faith that's in the lexicon I use. It means divine persuasion. Have your eyes been opened? Do you believe that God is God and that his son is Jesus and that Jesus paid the price for your sins so that you can be with him forever and participate in his kingdom now? If you've come to that conclusion, that is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So if you're going, yep, I want to be fruitful. I believe in a coming kingdom and I want to participate in it. That is faith. So he goes, you do this through faith. Make every effort to do what? Supplement your faith with virtue. Okay, if you made that decision, if you're going, yep, I want to live in it, how do I live in it? The next step is actually virtue. This is hard, but I want you to understand this. That means to do what's morally right. You see, we live in a world that tells you to follow your heart, and, I, and the scriptures say your heart is wicked and deceitful among all, above all things, right? And so there is a decision in your fate, even in the middle of these kind of circumstances that go, I am going to choose to do what is right. Now hear me, if you're capable of making that choice, it's because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And so the first thing he says, you know, supplement your faith with doing the next right thing. Next right thing. What's in front of you? Next right thing. Is it the person on the side of the road? Do the next right thing. Is it writing that letter? Next right thing. Is it finally offering forgiveness? Next right thing. Is it finally repenting? Next right thing. So he's going, you want to live in faith? There is a step right in front of you. And here's what it is. Supplement it with doing what is virtuous. The next right thing. And virtue, you ready for this? With knowledge. Virtue with knowledge. Really, really important. That word knowledge isn't just to get some more information. You read to the exact definition from the uh, Bible dictionary. Here's what knowledge is. Knowledge is gleaned from first-hand personal experience. It is connecting theory to application. Fruitfulness comes by connecting theory to application. You got it? So this isn't just knowing what to do. It's so crazy. As you walk in faith and choose the next right thing, guess what happens? More and more about the things of God and the things of his kingdom become known and confirmed in you. So there literally is a pattern here. You say, God, I want to be fruitful. We're there. Hopefully most of you are there. Okay, how do you be fruitful? Well, you got to do the next right thing. And as you do the next right thing, guess what happens? You become more aware of the kingdom and of God. You're going, I just haven't ever been really aware of the kingdom of God. I don't know how to participate in it. I don't know what to do. 
Here's the beautiful thing. Peter's going, the way that you know these things, you don't have to be an expert, you don't have to go to seminary, you don't need to, you know, read the Bible front to back. You actually just need to do the next right thing. And as you do that, you will become more knowledgeable about God. And then it says this, faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Verse 6, and knowledge with self-control. Got it? Knowledge with self-control. So he's literally saying, you want to do it? Next right thing. And as you continue to confirm the coming kingdom, you now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, get to continually live in that place. Right? This is, and I, I, hear me, this isn't a sermon on money. But I, until I got married to Julie, I was a pastor for a couple of years, and I never, ever gave to the church. Never wrote a check. Never did anything. I don't know why I was in control and didn't understand it. And Julie grew up in a house, so that was a really big deal. First fruits, write the check, those kind of things. And so when we got married, it was really, really important to Julie that we do that. Do that, right? I appreciate it. And so it wasn't something I wanted to do, but it was the right thing to do. So now for the last 16 years, it's the very first thing that comes out of my check. Right? In fact, I don't even see it. I have Joyce actually pull it out and put it directly in the church before it ever makes it to me. Right? And it's because, not because I think I'm extra godly, it's because I, as I've done the right thing and practiced it, I continue to see God's blessing poured out on my family. And I'm not talking just like he gives me new stuff, but blessing upon blessing has come from it. You could not convince me not to trust God with my money anymore. But it didn't come from this godly place at first. You see where it came from? It came from, okay, I want to live in the kingdom. Man, Julie and I are having this conversation. It's the right thing as I've continued to trust God with our money. And boy, has that been complicated because we've been church planners and fundraisers. And I've worked two or three jobs at a time. Somehow God has always sustained it. And as I've practiced the application, it became more and more true. Guess what? I used, to, I used to do it because it's the right thing to do, right? This is where you know that you're really growing in your faith is uh, when you first start to walk with the Lord, you do it because it's the right thing, not because it feels right. So don't follow your heart. But here's what's so crazy. Eventually, what is the right thing and what feels right, they start to come together. Why? Because you have this new knowledge, and as this new knowledge grows up in you, it becomes so much easier. You, you can be more faithful to your spouse now than you've ever been because you've realized, man, it's the right thing. You don't have to look at that stuff on the internet because it's the right thing to do. You don't have to lie about your taxes anymore, right? There's a right thing to do, and it just continues to come. And so the fruitfulness comes from faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, but that's not where it ends. Watch what it says next. And self-control with steadfastness, meaning as you do the next right thing, it's going to get easier and easier. But you've got to stay the course. You've got to stay the course. You gotta, Peter's going, you've got to stay the course. You've got to continue to lean in. You've got to lean in with one another. You've got to stay in community, and you've got to continue to stay the course. And watch what happens as you stay the course, as you are steadfast, meaning you remain under pressure. Watch what happens. See what it says? And steadfastness with godliness. Steadfastness with godliness. And that word in the Greek, it literally means a godly heart response. See when you get here? move of your heart that you and Jesus had the heart for the same things. You know when the scriptures say God gives you the desires of your heart, you know I he wants to give you the desires of your heart because your heart is now aligned with God's heart. You want that? You want to be fruitful? Well you start with faith, the supplement, and by doing the next right thing with continuing to confirm it in a place that you're going, nope, I can do this now with the work of the Holy Spirit. You continue to do it over and over again and what happens is you get a brand new heart. There's godliness that comes 
into you. Verse 7, you ready for this? And godliness with brotherly affection. See this? Godliness with brotherly affection. Meaning, as you do this, you can't help but start loving people. You see where the fruit's coming from now? All this work, but now it actually is a reaction to now I can actually love people. You know, the whole scripture is kind of, kind of distilled down to love people and love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You go, I don't know how to do that. Well, the way that you do it is through this process, right? And what happens is you start to actually love people. Now, here's what's so beautiful. And godliness with brotherly affection, that's the word, you know, phileo. We get it for Philadelphia. And brotherly affection with love. Peter changes the words from phileo to agape. And he's saying, you really want to love God? The way that you learn to love God is actually by loving other people. So profound. The way that you and I actually can fall in love with God, First John, it says, beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. And anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Why? Because God is love. So you want to be fruitful, you love your neighbor. And as you love your neighbor, guess what bursts forth in you? This agape love where you love unconditionally the way that God loves both your neighbor and God himself. Now watch this, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Got it? You want to be effective and fruitful? Take a picture. Go back to first, second Peter chapter 1. He's going, you want to be fruitful? Here's the pattern. Right now, I don't like the formulas because it gets it's much more nuanced in the scriptures where I'm going. There is a formula. You want to live and love God and be fruitful, and you want your life to count, and you want it to be effective. Peter's going, I'm not going to be here forever, but you want your life to count. This is how you have an effective, fruitful life. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Can't see anything else. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. He forgot that he can live that way. Because he, he forgot that this is available to him in verse 10. So important. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. That word just means choosing that you were chosen. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. This is so important. The reason I'm leaving, obedience, family, but the significant one is calling. God has been clear to me how I am most fruitful, and it is not in sustaining a church this size. It is being on the front lines, participating in the movement of church plants. Love you all. Boy, would it be easy to stay. Love our house. Love our small group. I adore our staff. Our elders are incredible. It is a good season, but the reason is this. Um, he says this, Brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. I want you to hear this. I'm not the only one with the calling. What this should do as this shakeup happens, it should lead all of us to go, God, what is it you've called me to do? And how do I participate that with your local church? What are my gifts? What have you called me to do to participate in the coming kingdom? And I will tell you wholeheartedly where he's telling you to participate is actually in his bride, his church. So how do you do that? Right? And we have lots of time to talk about all the ways really could use your help in Cal right now. This is the wrong time to spend a bunch of time there. There's a, ways that you could lead a small group or participate in a small group or serve an outreach, all sorts of stuff. You have a calling and you need to confirm it. Why? Because of your election. God chose you, chose you for if you practice these qualities. You hear this? 
you'll never fail. Peter's going, I'm leaving, but you're not going to fail. Why? Because there's, God has called you, he sustained you, and he has a plan for you because he has chosen you. For in this way, there will be richly, there will be richly provided for you an entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he goes, you got to hear this, got to hear this. It's all available to you. Not only is it all available to you, it is the richest, deepest gifts that God gives you. It's all available to you. It's all available to you. His riches are right in front of us to be fruitful for his kingdom. To live in the fullness of life, it is right in front of us. And it says this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I'm going to continue to remind you. We're going to continue to remind you. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body. Hear me. So I'm so thankful God gave us these scriptures. To stir you up by the the way of reminder. You've been chosen, you have a calling, and he wants you to be fruitful. Jesus is your senior pastor, and he's always had a plan, and he wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to live in the fullness of life where you cannot fail, where you will be effective, and you will bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's what he wants to you, verse 14. Since I know that the putting off, uh, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Guys, I'm leaving. Got a few weeks to grieve it and talk about it, but I am leaving. But you're not, because he's chosen you. He's called you. He wants you to be effective and fruitful. To, uh, uh, after my depart, and I will make every, I'm sorry, as our Lord Jesus made clear in verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. You're chosen. You're called to transform this community, Southern Chester County, Northeast Maryland, Delaware, he has called you to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and be fruitful. You're called and you are chosen, and he wants you to be effective. And you know why? Because he loves you. And you are so wired to participate in the kingdom, and you will never, ever, ever be fulfilled until you do. Your life is not going to be fulfilled by your job. Your life is not going to be fulfilled by the new house or the new spouse or more kids or the kids going off or the kids coming back. Your life will not find fulfillment in that because you are hardwired. You are called and you are chosen to be fruitful. And until you start participating in that fruitfulness, you are going to have a void in your life. You're hardwired for this calling because he has a plan for you. And here's the crazy thing. This plan is for your good. It's a great gift. What's interesting, we always talk about grace as this gift that we get for our salvation, that we don't have to go to hell, right, and we get heaven. No, but it's all gift, as Pastor Jeff would say. It's all gift. His amazing grace is the fact that he has communicated to you that you are called and chosen, and you will be fruitful, and you will be effective, and that you will live in the fullness of life, and the kingdom of heaven will invade earth. It's all in front of you, because he has called you, and it is all grace. And the reason it's all grace is because you've been freed from the bondage of sin. So what's going to happen is, in the middle of all this mess, we're going to remind that it is all gift. Even these breaths, breaths that we have now, and it's all God's grace. And so the band's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song. You'll recognize it. John Newton wrote it a long, long time ago. It's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see been chosen. You've been called to live an effective, fruitful life where glory is right in front of you. So would you join me as we sing together?
So that was a lot. I didn't get that. And I uh, want you to know that if you want to have a conversation, I would greatly welcome that. And over the next couple of weeks, uh, my, my calendar will stay pretty open. And so I'd be happy to chat at any point. The best way to do that is josh at clcfamily.church. If you email me there, um, Molly will help us set up a time for us to connect. I'll be downstairs too if you want to chat. Now I am available. But the thing I'd actually really love to point you to is this is a lot. And um, we're a family, and uh, one of the things to do in this kind of news and travel and moving and transition is to kind of lean into your family. And so I would invite you back here on Wednesday night. Got a messy world. We got some complications with sending our kids back to school. We got teachers, uh, a lot of responsibility, administrators. So this Wednesday night at 6.30, come here and let's pray and worship together. Um, what you'll see in the Old Testament is a lot of times before worship ever happened, that I mean, before a war happened, the big, they got together and worshiped. So let's uh, worship and pray together. And I am available, but let me read to you Paul's, I mean, Peter's closing words in the end of uh, Second Peter. And it says this, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. May you grow in grace and knowledge this week as he makes you fruitful for the kingdom. Love you guys, and I'm available. Hopefully we'll chat soon. Bye. My church.